life, human flourishing according to Jesus. It's on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this series, I don't know, for what, three years? <laughs> okay, not that long, but it has been verse by verse, which is what we do here at the Rock Church. And I don't know, I, I think it's been, uh, um, I've, I've loved preaching what part I've preached in it because it's just such an amazing sermon by Jesus. So it's, it's hard to go wrong, I guess, if you just quote his words. Uh, uh, but I hope it's been helpful to you. We're in um, the second part of his conclusion today, chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Last week, which we'll review a, t- a tiny bit this morning, uh, was part one of the conclusion. Today is part two, and then next Sunday, we will get to the actual conclusion. Um, I-, I have to, and I feel led by the Spirit, to give a little bit of a caveat introduction this morning. And so if you're not part of the Rock Church and visiting... Um, Maybe you haven't ever heard a pastor or preacher say something like this before, but I feel like I need to. I think sometimes when you're preaching, especially in a a smaller church, uh, it can feel like it's a no-win situation. Not that it's about winning, okay? But it can just feel that way. I've had experiences over the past uh, 12, 13 years since we planted the church where on a given Sunday, you know, we're, we're going through the Word, and I'll, I'll use an illustration about something. And later I'll find out uh, that someone was greatly offended because they were absolutely certain I was talking about them. Actually had a person leave our church because of that. Or, or circumstances where people feel like, oh my goodness, he's talking about so-and-so over there. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that? That's not funny, but... And so, I need to ask you this morning for grace. Okay? I have no doubt that as we go through this passage, that what we're going to hear is going to cause some of us to go, oh, please don't do that. (laughs) Okay? I should also point this out. I was not supposed to be here this morning. Lord, what's going on? Rudy was supposed to preach. And so, for some reason, the Lord decided he wanted me to be here. So, as I say, this is a a challenging passage. I, I need to preach the truth of it. And if it lands, let it land. And so, when I finish reading the text for this morning and go to prayer, would you please pray with me? Reading verses 15 to 23, uh, Matthew records the words of Jesus this way. Beware of false prophets or teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you workers of lawlessness. Okay, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, every week or any time that we're praying, we just thank you for being a good, good God. A good, good Father. As the song says, that's who you are. And so, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit as well, we, we pray this morning, I pray this morning that, uh, Lord, Lord Jesus, these are your words. At the end of your sermon, you decided that they needed to hear this and that, therefore, we needed to hear this today. So, Holy Spirit, I need help. <laughs> and, Father, I think we all need help who are hearing these words this morning, whether here in this building or online or watching it later. So I pray for your grace and your blessing over us and over myself. In your worthy name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So in his uh, three-part conclusion, Jesus has basically been tying together the whole synthesis of his sermon. If you remember back in chapter 5, verse 17, he said to those who were listening to him, his disciples at his feet and the throng of thousands who were listening to him on that mountaintop on that day, he said to them, your righteousness is going to need to exceed the righteousness of the religious Pharisees. And I'm sure some of the Pharisees were going, yeah, good luck with that. And the rest of them were going, yeah, good luck with that. His whole thesis from that point in time has been to show that your righteousness has to come from him. And what it looks like, what it looks like to have that righteousness, what, what it, why that righteousness is needed to actually enter the kingdom of God, and how it's lived out. And so we also remember, if you, if you can go back with me to the early parts of this series, I made the point to you that Jesus, of course, he's Jesus, he's God. He knows exactly who he's talking to you. I, I know some of you. I don't know all of you. I don't know what's going on in your minds right now. I don't know your philosophical or religious backgrounds. He does, and he did on that day. And what he knew when he looked out on that day at that crowd was, yeah, he, he saw the Jewish religious leaders and the, the, the peasant Jewish followers and, and he knew that their worldview, philosophically speaking, was taken from what at that time and even to this day was known as the uh, Second Temple Jewish philosophy, which was that the way to get to heaven, the way to get acceptance and approval by God is to keep the law and the prophets. And it, it was all about, more or less, an outward performance. Let's not talk about the heart. But that was the worldview, how I can flourish as a human being, live the good life, be accepted by God, is going to be based on how well I keep the rules and regulations, and quite frankly, be seen to be doing that. But he also knew, interestingly, that there were Greco-Romans there. There were Roman soldiers there, most likely. It was a big crowd. This was not necessarily a good thing. But we know from the rest of Scripture that there were other Greco-Romans there, and they also had a worldview. And their worldview, of course, was based on mostly ethics. They had this whole ethical code. It was based on their own view, a secular view of morality, and, of course, what they would call virtues. And so he knew that. And so he's preaching to people whose worldview was, listen, as long as we're a good person, and if, if there is even 
a single God or there are pantheons of gods, we'll be able to appease those gods or that God if we live life like this. And certainly, if we live a virtuous life, we will be living the good life. And so addressing both of these groups, Jesus opens the sermon with, and you will remember this, we got a little bit geeky-greaky at the time, remember? He opens with the word makarios. And, and you and I know that in our translations, that word is translated blessed. But as I showed you back in that time, we needed to look at maybe a, a different English translation of that because that sometimes means or was taken to believe that you are, you are exhibiting these character traits, the, the Beatitudes, right, in verses 3 through, I believe, 11, that uh, you're, you're, you're behaving that way and, and acting that way because you have been blessed by God. And, and oh, pardon me, by, based on your performance, you're being best ble- ble- blessed by God. So if you act poor in spirit, the first beatitude, right, you will be blessed by God. That's wrong. <laughs> the reality is, is that these are the character traits of those who are already blessed. And so we use the definition of the word flourishing. And many commentators today will tell you that's actually from the way our English works is maybe a better translation so that we can understand what is going on. And so here's the thing. In that day, those two groups of people who are listening to Jesus, they hear the word makarios and they're like, right on. This is going to be a TED talk on how to live the good life. That's what they expected because it's about flourishing. It's about the good life. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And most of them, in both categories, are looking at Jesus going, wait a second, that doesn't sound like my worldview, and that doesn't sound like their worldview. What are you getting at? And so last week in part one, Jesus recaps, begins the recap of his whole sermon and his thesis by reminding them of their two wrong worldviews that actually all follow the same path. And he lets them know, and us, as we will look at again in recap from last week, that there is only one way, and it isn't the wide way that everybody's on, expressing both of those worldviews. So the words from last week of Jesus were in verses 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. That's not a mere suggestion. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So we spent a lot of time last week unpacking that. And if you weren't here, you might want to listen to it or watch it online. So the first thing that Jesus wants them and us to think carefully about is the truth and reality that there are just two paths. And I should say both last week and this week especially... These words of Jesus, as part of his conclusion, which is, it's been good, come on. There's been some really encouraging things in it from Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's going this direction at the end. And I would suggest to you the reason why he's doing it, he's going, listen, I want you to think very, very carefully about everything I've been saying, especially this today. And so last week, we saw that he's basically said, look, there are only two roads two paths. There's no middle way. Right? There is the narrow way that leads to life and a life of flourishing. And the only other way that Jesus suggests that many, if not most people are on is the wide road. 
And so we synthesize that down to simply say, well, obviously one is the way of the kingdom and the other is the way of the world. And there's no middle way, even though, as I alluded to last week, a very uncomfortable position for us is some of us like to have one foot in, one and one foot in the other. It's disastrous, right? And so he wants us to consider what he's been saying then and today very carefully. And now after that, saying that, Jesus then says, verse 15, Beware of false prophets or teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, so already we're, we're seeing that there's sort of an outward thing and then an inward thing, which is part of his conclusion. But the word beware is the word that Jesus uses here, and, and we need to consider that first, I believe, before we try to unpack the rest of it, because it's important that we do that. If you and I do not consider that word and its weight carefully, the rest of the words just actually might not make sense as to why he's saying this now. So let me first suggest to you that following verses 13 and 14, Jesus has just narrowed down who he's speaking to. I want to suggest to you at this point, he's looking at the crowd, he's talking to the crowd, his voice is carrying over the mountaintop, which is why he's up there. Didn't have one of these, right? And and so his voice is carrying, but now he's looking down at his feet and, and he's speaking, friends, listen, he's speaking to those disciples who are following him who one day will be his church. This is prophetic. He's speaking a prophetic word here that's going to happen at some time. And so that's the first thing that I think we need to see him doing. He's looking down, speaking to his disciples. He's speaking just to them. Sure, all the rest are hearing this. He wants all the rest to hear this, but this is important for them because in only a year or less, he will be dead, crucified, buried, risen from the dead, and ascended, and they will head off to plant the churches. Many of those who are right in front of him, at least 11 of the 12 apostles anyway. And so he's narrowed it down. He's speaking to just them. We can know that partly because he uses the word sheep here. Now, the word sheep is used all through the Old Testament and New Testament, but specifically in the New Testament. Here's, here's the good news. When the, we hear the word sheep, it's talking about you and me. It's a nice thing, right? Have you ever been around sheep? <laughs> Smelly. Don't seem too bright. There's some really bad sermons that use that as an illustration, because that, but we're, we're called sheep. But there's also a blessing and a beautiful part to that, as I hope we will see. So we'll see this more clearly in a minute or two when we examine Paul's teaching on the subject. So, so the question is, what is Jesus getting at first when he uses the word beware? Or how about this, be aware? Just split the, that one word up, because that's really what it means. Well, he's prophesying, as I said, that in the days ahead, there will be false teachers that will come into his church and they will be wearing sheep's clothing, he suggests. So what does that mean? Well, most of you have been to Sunday school, or even if you haven't been, you know, right? They're going to look like Christians. They're they're going to look like full-on Christians but they're not. 
And he's talking about that then. So, so, so what he's, saying, he's getting at is that inwardly, in the place that we cannot see, which is what? It's, it's the heart of the human being. They are actually ravenous wolves, ravenous wolves. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, that means that they have an unhealthy hunger for devouring real sheep. Because that actually is what wolves do. So this is prophetic. There are so many examples of how this comes true later when the church is planted. But one of the most significant ones is in Acts chapter 20. You'll remember Paul, who's planted a number of churches as he's been traveling around uh, in that area at that time. And he's on a ship coming back from Miletus, I believe it is, or he's coming to Miletus, I can't quite remember. And, and he, he, he feels the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. Maybe it's Christ reminding him of this prophecy of his in the Sermon on the Mount. But he calls for the elders in Ephesus, which is about 100 kilometers from the seashore, and he calls them to come to him because he has a word for them. Something's on his heart. He's grieved and he's greatly concerned for them. Before we get to actually the verse I want to put on screen, he says this to the elders once they come to him. He starts off by saying to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So there you go, to the sheep. But first of all, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Remember the the, the whole idea of the speck in your brother or sister's eyes and the plank in your own? Okay, well, first of all, examine yourself before you go and try to lead and care for your church. in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, he says, the word overseer is elder, uh, episkopos, to care for, look, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So so what he's now going to tell the elders that's been put on his heart is how he wants them to understand is one of the most important things that they've got to do in order to be caring for their flock that they have been made under shepherds to Christ, but shepherds in that local church for. And then Paul says these words, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from, and from you, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay, look, I, I, I just have to be honest here. I, 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 I hear that, and if I was one of those young elders, you know, the church is like a year old. Right? And I'm coming out, and things are going good. It's up and to the right. The church is growing. People are getting baptized. You know, woohoo! You know, people love each other. You know, it's, they're coming to church and they're gathering and all the rest of it. And hold on. I think some of them might have been a little bit like, what? I'm going to quote from a book that we used uh, at our biblical eldership course shortly. And I, I know that some of the men that came to that course were kind of like, because the, the first chapter of that book talk, talks about being shepherds who care for the flock and are on guard looking and watching out for wolves. And I remember looking at some of the men going, want to be an elder? So it's interesting. Paul doesn't use the words, listen, I don't know, maybe I didn't hear the Holy Spirit right. You know, I don't know. Just, I had this inkling, I don't know. Like, um, Maybe, or, or it's possible, but hopefully not. You know, I mean, this is actually the way I think I might couch things, right? Might appear, he goes, no. He, you know, the words that he uses, and again, in the original language, they're just so emphatic. Paul says, 
And if I tell you as a, as a pastor elder, I know something, you're probably going to go, uh-huh, Glenn. Right? I can't say I blame you, but should you? Paul says, I know. I absolutely know with certainty. You can count on it that fierce wolves will show up. They're going to slip into the church. They're not going to spare the flock. A word for, of course, again, a gaggle or a herd of sheep, right? And then he provides a description that is intended to help alert the elders to identify them so they can care for the church. He says, it's all about false teaching. Because he says, they will speak, these are words we're going to come back to, twisted things. Well, that's interesting. Meaning, what they speak or teach will be contrary to both the Word of God, but it'll certainly be contrary, contrary to the teachings of the local church in Ephesus that you are supposed to be caring for. So watch out for that, is what he's getting at. Their goal, essentially, Paul says, sadly, is to divide the local church and call people to follow them away from the local church. That is their goal. Paul then adds, therefore, in verse 31, be alert. The word literally means stay awake. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. While he's planting this church, Paul is saying, guys, remember, do you remember how many times I cried over having to care for the flock this way, having to admonish some of you for believing false things, for living sinfully, even though you're in Christ now. So be alert, be awake. Now returning to Jesus' appeal in Matthew for us to be aware of false prophets or teachers, Jesus also gives us very good clues, very good teachings on how to discern this. Verses 16 to 18, he says, again, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but, diseased, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So these verses need to be taken together for us to fully unpack what he's saying. But again, you'll you'll see the emphatic words, right? You will. Well, how? How will we? Well, first of all, if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you've been called to be an overseer and caretaker of the church, you will, you will know what sound doctrine looks like, what sound teaching looks like. You will be professing it day in, day out, both from the pulpit but in your daily walk in life with people. You will have, you will have heard tickling teachings and gone, no, don't think so. You will recognize, however, them by their fruits. So Jesus says emphatically, you will or can know and judge that someone is a spiritual wolf as a result of their fruits. Okay. So we'll come back to that. But what Jesus goes on to say informs us on how we are to interpret their fruit. Because this is, this is interesting. As soon as we hear fruit, I think most of us are thinking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, peace, joy, all good. But that's assuming very, something very important. That's assuming that 
this person has the Holy Spirit. This is a different kind of fruit, as the words of Jesus in his illustration tell us. So what Jesus is ultimately getting at here, what is it? Again, we see two of something, don't we? Don't we? Uh, we specifically see that there are two kinds of trees. Right? He's always two, two roads. Here we see two trees. And as Jesus has been getting at through the Sermon on the Mount, true righteousness, the righteousness that I mentioned earlier that we've been looking at through the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, that exceeds that of the Pharisees, is, is a righteousness that is imparted to us, that is imputed to us by the grace of God and by the work of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? We can't earn it. We, we, we don't have it. We know we need it. He gives it to us. It is a righteousness then that is at that point from within us. It's what flows out of our heart should be that righteousness which produces the fruits of the Spirit. However, if we don't have renewed hearts of flesh, we still have hearts of stone, what can come from that? That's the point of his whole tree analogy here, is to bring that to our attention. So what then does bad fruit look like? How do we recognize it as Jesus tells us we can? Well, first, one of the ways we can do that is, again, to go to the New Testament and see when it actually became a reality, right? If you read the book of Galatians, you're going to know that Paul was like, oh, my, planted a church. It was up and to the right for about 18 months. And then these guys called Judaizers came into the church, right? These Jewish men who came into the church, and they were like, listen, Paul's great. Peter, James, John, they're, they're all great. Those guys are awesome really good preachers. It's awesome. Uh, But they started to preach what what is called a Jesus and or a Jesus plus gospel, right? And and they were basically saying to people, listen, yes, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, he died on the cross for your sins. But you want to be a real Christian? You got to keep the law too. And men, by the way, you need to be circumcised. (laughs) That went over well. But that's what they were teaching. And Paul went to a lot of trouble to point out that they're, they're wrong. He actually went with a delegation to Jerusalem to get the, 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 the big capital A apostles to agree with him on that matter. And so that was settled. These men were wolves. That's the point. And so what could that look like today, do you think? Well, just some very simple examples. For, thankfully, not, not a lot of people are coming into the church today saying, if you're a Gentile and you haven't been, you need to be circumcised. Amen. Like, however, what about um, people who speak about things like certain forms of music, right? This is ordained, this is not. Musical instruments, yes or no? Oh, how about dress code? Preacher needs to wear a a shirt and tie. (sighs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace. I used to, but there are people who would teach that in the church. Uh, Approved Bible translations. Hello? (laughs) That's a similar form of Jesus and. And that's a false teaching. It can lead to a wolf-like behavior that can actually what? Divide a church. Anybody. Ever seen that happen? Pastor decides to go with a new translation and half the church says, no way? (laughs) Well, I have, sadly. However, in these days, listen, it could be something like this, and this is culturally relevant, I understand, and some of you may be going, come on, Pastor, come on, Glenn especially. How about Jesus and critical race theory? 
Some of you go, what? Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. How about Jesus and secular version of social justice? Like, you're really not a good church. You're not really good Christians unless you're doing this on Sunday but also doing this. That's how that could look like today. But now listen, I want to go back to what Paul had to say about twisted things. We can also recognize false teachers as people who, once they've gained acceptance in the local church, they've lived and walked in such a way that we're like, well, yeah, of course they're Christian. Yeah, look, they're just like us. Subtly, at first at least, begin to question core tenets or beliefs of that local church and the doctrines that that church might hold. They want to, and it'll turn into this, it could anyway, I think, they, they want to dominate conversations. They want to draw people into groups that can start actually talking about these things. They may even go to leadership and say, you know, I don't know about that one thing that your church believes. Could we have an open town hall meeting about that? And so the reality is, is that sometimes in those things, what can happen is teaching can become twisted. It can become twisted. They are also often people who will avoid this. And I'm getting this when I say this, just so you understand, this is not my opinion. I'm actually quoting two pastors who I respect very much in the words I'm going to use. You'll know one of them, his name is Tim Keller. I won't mention the other one because some of you go, oh, I don't know about him. But they would say that most people who are wolves in the local church can be identified by the fact that they don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to really talk about righteousness or holiness. They, want, they don't want to talk about biblical justice but instead social justice. They certainly don't want to talk about the wrath of God. Oh, dear. The reality of judgment and hell. And I'll tell you what the biggest one is. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for your sins. No. Don't want to talk about that. Don't want to have a Bible study about that. Instead, they prefer to focus on and this gets a little tough, and get you and I to focus on what are considered, for the most part, secondary or contentious issues within the local church. All of these traits or signs contribute to their ultimate goal, which is to divide the church by discrediting what the church believes, which by extension is discrediting the leaders of the church and the teachings of the local church, which includes the members of the local church, so as to call people to actually leave that church and to follow what they believe and to take it away. Theologian and author, as I alluded to, uh, alluded to earlier, Alexander Strzok, he wrote what I believe and many other pastors believe is probably the seminal, the best book on biblical eldership ever written uh, 25 years ago. It, it's, it's one of the best. It, it's not perfect, <laughs> you know, but it's one of the best. And we use that to, uh, to train our elders here. Uh, and as they, um, will, will have, they will attest to this, the ones who did take the course with me, um, he spends like two chapters talking about wolves, right? And how shepherds got to be, be on guard, right? And it, it, th- those were not fun nights when we sat around as elders talking about that. It's like, really? But, but he spent time on it. 
and for good reason, because it is part of shepherding and caring for sheep. I mean, if you're just a, a, a real flesh and blood shepherd back in the day, you got your gaggle of sheep out there, your flock, and what are you looking for? Wolves. You've got to protect them. Well, interestingly, five years ago, he felt compelled that he had to write another book. The title of the book that he wrote five years ago is Acts 20, Fierce Wolves Are Coming, Guard the Flock. The whole book is about this. What compelled him to write this book? Well, he, like myself and every other pastor, and maybe some of you, had noticed something. Whereas before, what Jesus and Paul had seen or were speaking about were, were men or women who will come into a local church, appear to be sheep, and, and really good ones at first, and, and, and so they actually are physically coming into the church. But what he noticed was that, no, the fiercest wolves right now are from outside the church, but they're coming into the church through extraneous and outside sources. And I'll quote what he says in his book. He says this, Fierce wolves of secularism are infiltrating our churches and homes, aided by the internet, social media, podcasts, TV movies, advertising, schools, books, podcasts, even some Christian preachers. Oh, dear, really? So he was seeing this different kind of wolf. And I've told some of you this before, and I know some of you are like, Glenn, because I've used the phrase, I know. <laughs> and you're just like, Glenn, you're just so suspicious. I'm responsible to care for the flock, as are the other elders. And so are you. I remember 12 years ago, <laughs> someone made the suggestion to me, you know, you need to read this book because everybody's reading it. And, and, it's, and you, many of you remember the book. It was called Love Wins. And, and so it was by, you know, this guy, Rob Bell. And so I went and read the book and, and I'm reading the book and I'm going, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> like I'm, I'm two chapters in, I'm going, very nice, wordy, really well written kind of thing. But, you know, like you finish the book and, okay, what's the book? Uh, he's a universalist. He believes that at the end of the day, everyone will be saved. So don't worry. It's okay. God's love will win you. It's false teaching. Like, carte blanche. I'm, okay, if you don't like that, you may, maybe don't want to come back next Sunday. But that's what it is. And, but my point is, 12, 13 years ago, that was one book. Friends, today I can't keep up, and I don't want to. I want to focus on sound doctrine. <laughs> and I want to encourage you and I that that's what we need to do. Paul concludes his teaching to the church in Rome with these words. I appeal to you, brothers. He's not just speaking to the apostles or the elders. Brothers and sisters is the word there. To watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines to which you've been taught. Hey, can I just make a real... I just, the Holy Spirit just said this to me. Honestly, it's not in my notes. If you have been attending this church for a while, or if you're even here today, and you don't believe that the things that we're teaching here are gospel, then you need to find a church that you trust is doing that. That's just an aside. Paul then ends with, avoid them. Avoid those kind of teachers, people who do that. Jesus goes on in verses 19 and 20 and says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Man. So like the end of the wide path, Jesus warns that those trees that do not bear good fruit will come to a terrible, terrible 
eternal end. Listen, what he's saying here right now, please hear him. Will you take my words seriously? Will you be careful as you hear these words? Please, because they're for your benefit. So this teaching by Jesus is once again about the two paths. He's warning us to beware of those who will attempt to get us off the narrow path and invite us back onto the wide path. That's what he's warning about. He's encouraging you and I to consider what he's saying again very, very carefully. And then he concludes with, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, look, the one versus the everyone who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, wide path, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not uh, cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Oh, they keep repeating, in your name, in your name. Hey, Jesus, we used your name, we used your name. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about just an an illustration, an idea for you. I don't know. But listen, this this is something that Jesus is picturing that's going to happen. Men and women are going to stand before him. And and listen, it reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if any of you have ever been invited into a a meeting with your boss that was unexpected. (laughs) You were just like, okay, what's going on? Uh, Yeah, Glenn, I I want to like, uh, in about 10 minutes, can you come to my office? So it's like the principal in high school. I got called at the principal's office a lot. It was never good. And I, I just can imagine you go into the, the boss's office and you're, you just can tell by his posture or whatever, something's up, and, and you're like, hey, how about those Canucks training camps looking really good, eh? And, and you're kind of like, you're kind of like trying to, you know, fluff it up a little bit, trying to like ease the tension or what, because you, what? You know what's coming. It might be just a correction, or you might be, I'm letting you go. i gotta, I got to believe by their response, I look at this because I've read this many, many times, and I'm just trying to understand, they're going to stand before Christ, and they're going to be like, oh, no. Jesus then says, and then, despite their protests, I will declare to them, I never knew you. You knew my name, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So honestly, right, these are the words that no one wants to hear. But also, hear me, the, those who have not ever professed faith in Jesus Christ, these are the words that they're going to hear. These are not the words of someone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ and been saved or ever going to hear, right? These words, as I said, are words that no one ever wants to hear. Just two quick illustrations before I conclude. Look, I know some of you, and I can tell you from my own life, I've walked with people, and uh, years later, like, yeah, I don't buy that stuff anymore. I want nothing to do with it. And they walk away. Or we, we use the phrase, they walk away, right? One of my friends who's a pastor, he, he laments quite often when he's sharing with pastors because he's trying to prepare us for the, the hurt and the pain. 
And he says, he goes like, you know, I went to seminary uh, 30 years ago and, and of my 10 best friends in seminary, pastors who graduated, went on to pastor churches. Six of them are gone. Not just from the ministry, they're gone from the faith. And so here's, here's the words that none of you want to hear, I don't want to ever hear, but someone is often going to say to us something like, well, maybe they never were Christians. Man, that's hard, because that can be true. Not always, but it can be true. But, then there are the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 21, when he says to those, those who have done the will of the Father who stand before him, what words does he say to them? Hopefully to you and to I. He says these words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Yeah, Glenn, listen, this this pastoring a church thing, you, you think it's been tough? No. You've been faithful in a little. I'm going to set you over much now. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into your rest from all your labors. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? These are the words whom Jesus, that will be spoken to those that Jesus referred to in verse 21, those who will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So friends, I, I, understand. Oh, look, I, I understand how hard these words, this teaching is to hear. But let's remember, Jesus believes, again I'll repeat it, it's very, very important for you and for me, for me all week to wrestle on this, <laughs> but for you to hear it today and now wrestle with it. He thinks it's very important to carefully consider his words. So I'm going to give you two takeaways today for you to think about. Two takeaways that I believe Jesus is encouraging you to to do with what he just said. First is this. He's encouraging you and I to examine our own hearts and ask the question, am I a wolf? Am I exhibiting any fruit of being a wolf? Secondly, do I know anyone who's exhibiting the fruit of a wolf? Who has left the narrow path even and is now back on the wide road? If the answer to the first question is yes or maybe, friend, repent. Turn around, right, is what Jesus wants you to do. Follow Jesus and his church down the narrow path. You are going to be rejected by those who are on the, wild, the wide road, right? You are going to be rejected, but do that. If your answer is yes to the second question, and this is important for all of us here today to hear this, then listen, in love, go after your brother or sister. Go after them. Point them back to the narrow road. Because here's the really, really good news. You've got to believe this. Because I've also seen the opposite been, be true in my life. The good news is someone can be, it doesn't matter how far down the wide path, the wide road someone has been going on or has left the narrow path to go down on, it's never too late to turn them around and point them back to the narrow path. In fact, to maybe take their hand and say, come on. 
this way. Follow me as I follow Christ. Pray with me, would you?